prayer and fasting this last week. And our God is alive and active, so prayer and fasting is alive and active. And communicating with God is essential to our belief in who God is. But I want to shift our focus this morning to the power of worship. I want to give some direction in what I mean when I talk about worship. So as I was prepping for the sermon, I was kind of looking at different dictionary definitions of worship. And here's some of the definitions that I found on worship. Reverent honor and homage paid to God or a sacred personage or to any object regarded <clears throat> as sacred. Formal or ceremonious rendering of such honor and homage. Adoring reverence or regard. The object of adoring reverence or regard. A title of honor used in addressing or mentioning certain magistrates and others of high rank or station. So the English word of worship is actually divided into two parts, worth and ship, meaning worthy of reverence and honor. When we worship, we are declaring God's worth. When we worship, we're declaring God's worth. Worship can be a very broad term, and sometimes in cases that's a good way to look at worship. But today, we're going to focus on worship as an idea of showing appreciation and adoration to someone or something. So, if we're going to worship someone or something, why should it be God? It's a big question, right? There's so many different ways that I could help you answer that today, but today I'm going to focus on a couple portions of scriptures to answer this question. First, we're going to start with the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. So if you want to get your Bibles out or your Bible app, or of course it'll be on the screen behind me, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 95, verses 1 through 11. Psalms 95, verses 1 through 11. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day on Messiah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, Though they had not seen what I did, for forty years I was angry with that generation. I said, They are people whose hearts go astray and have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. As we break down this portion of scripture, let's look at the different reasons that we should choose to worship God. First, he says that he is the rock of our what? Salvation. Salvation, right? We know that our salvation comes only through him offering his son as the living sacrifice for us, who died and rose again three days later. Our salvation is alone the reason enough to worship him. But it also says, for he is a great God, the great king above all gods. From the depths of the highest, from the depths to the highest peaks, they are all in his hands. God made everything, right? He is so great, and he is so worthy of our praise. 
there is no one greater than him. So let's bow down and worship, for he made the sea. By his hands formed the dry land. We're his people. We're members of his flock, which he cares for. We should worship him because he is our shepherd. He is the one who takes care of us. Then it goes on in the last few verses to talk about how the Israelites in the past have hardened their hearts by believing that they knew what God wanted, right? They were willing to test him, and they became, God became angry, and he punished them. God desires to have worship because he desires to have a relationship with us above anything else. And once that relationship is established, very naturally worship can flow from it. So let's take a look at a little different scripture that we should worship God from a passage in the New Testament. We're going to look at Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28. If you want to pull that up, it'll also be on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of you own poets have said, we are his offspring. So we read this passage that God has made everything, right? Which we covered in the first passage as well. But it goes on to say that he's not served by human hands. As if he really needs anything from us. God is the creator of all things. He knows the beginning from the end and everything that has happened in between. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He wants that relationship with us. He provides us with life, breath, and everything else, it says. Through one man, Abraham, he made all nations, giving them areas which he had marked out throughout the course of history. Through that, he hoped that we would seek him, that we would reach out to him, right? That even though he was never far away from us, God gives us that free will. We have to choose to worship him, just like we sang this morning, right? We have to choose to have that relationship with him. I love verse 28, so I'm going to read it again. It says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. In him we live, we move, we have our being. Through him we have life. Amen? Amen? Yeah, that's exciting. Through him we can find life. What more reason do we need to worship God than that? He sent his son so that we may be made clean in his eyes. God knows what we've done, but he chooses to look beyond that and see the spotless and the clean because Jesus took our place, removing the sin from our lives. <clears throat> so we know we should worship God, because that's who he is. But how should our worship look? Let me tell you a little story. On a vacation, my family and I visited Yellowstone National Park. 
Now, Yellowstone is this geological hotbed, right, with hundreds of geysers and hot springs. One of our first stops in this scenic wilderness was the geyser affectionately known as, what do you think? Old Faithful. Old Faithful, right? Old Faithful is the most visited of all the geysers for one simple reason. It's faithful, right? <laughs> it's, it's not the tallest geyser, right? It's not the most beautiful geyser, but it is the most faithful geyser. It goes every 80 minutes. Every 80 minutes, Old Faithful erupts. Presently, you can count on Old Faithful to do it. The National Park Service has built this boardwalk that encircles it, the old geyser with benches on one side. You can even stand on the other side so when it erupts, you can get wet. Let's not do that. But lots of people like to do that. I don't know why you want hot water all over you like that, but yes, you can get that on you. The historic hotels, there's quaint shops around it. No doubt, though, Old Faithful is that center of attention. He is the star. And as the time for the eruption got closer, more and more tourists joined our family, sitting on the benches, around the boardwalk. Latecomers had to stand behind. Many had their cameras out, videoing, ready, ready to get it. From the steam rising, the opening of the earth, their sputtering of water. There she goes, someone said. But little did he know, wasn't quite ready yet. So he was quiet the rest of the time because there was a lot of sputtering before it came. And moments later, the sputtering turned into this fountain of hot water that shot up into the heavens a hundred feet high. Everybody looked up, jaws dropped, eyes wide open. There was a sense of wonder that just filled as Old Faithful geyser sent cascading waters up and up and up. And the crowd <coughs> was spellbound. They were kind of awe-filled, right? These water was dancing, performing this beautiful stuff for a minute, and then it quietly returned back into the earth. Its water supply de depleted, but in another 80 minutes, right, its subterranean plumbing will be filled again, ready to burst forth towards the sky, and other onlookers would witness its majesty. I noticed something that day when we were there. Those onlookers displayed this sense of awe. It was almost like a worship-like quality. They had witnessed something powerful, Something that was beyond themselves. One dad said to his kids, did you see that? That was amazing, wasn't it? A little boy, I can't wait to tell Johnny about this when we get back home. Right? Another shouted, Grandpa, did you see that? Still another said, can I watch that again? With a sense of reverence, people returned to their cars or the gift shops, knowing that they just had witnessed something spectacular. That same dynamic occurs when we worship God, or I should say it should occur, it should happen. We should witness the spectacular hand of God. We're supposed to witness something that is beyond ourselves. We are supposed to be in awe, spellbound, mesmerized <coughs> by the life-giving, life-flowing power of God. We should be motivated to tell other people about what we've experienced in God's presence. This is how our worship should look. What Old Faithful does for the tourists in Yellowstone, our worship of God should do for those who worship God in church. Worship is an outward expression of what God has been doing or is doing inside of us. Let me say that again. Worship is an outward expression of what God has been doing or is doing inside of us. 
We are expressing our gratitude toward God. We are giving him honor, praise, focusing our attention solely on him. There are many ways to worship. Singing is one way of worship. Clapping is another way of worshiping. Raising our hands is another way of worshiping. Does anyone know why we raise our hands or what it means when we raise our hands in worship? Yeah, surrender, surrender. When we're raising our hands or you see someone raise their hands, what they're saying is, God, I surrender to you. I surrender my life. I surrender my feelings, my emotions, my time, my frustrations, my heart, everything. I surrender. You are in control. Have your way. You are sovereign. I trust you. You know, uh, I don't think they probably do it nowadays, and Steve, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but in the Army, they probably don't wave actual white flags like they used to or like you see in the movies, right? Yeah. But, you know, the thought was there. You see it in the movies when, when they're fighting and someone's surrendering. They put their arms up. They wave the right flags. They're like, I surrender. I give up. That's what we're saying when we worship God, when we raise our hands. We are saying we surrender to you our lives. We surrender to you our hearts, right? Some of you might think, oh, I'm not really comfortable with doing that. I'm not so comfortable with raising my hands or clapping. <sighs> Worship is not meant to be comfortable. Worship is meant to focus on God, to give him praise because he is worthy. Amen. I'm not saying you have to raise your hands. I'm not saying you have to clap. But I am saying what God is doing on the inside of you should be coming out when you worship. What he is doing in your heart should be shown. Worship is active. It's not passive. So if you are standing there during worship and you're not singing and you're just looking at a screen, that's not worship. Worship is an action. Worship is active. It's not just passive. And again, I know we have all different types of personalities, and here on the range, we tend to be a little bit more quiet and to ourselves, but guys, we really need, when we worship God, to do something to tell him he's worthy, something to show him we honor him, something to show him and say that we're praising him. And if that's just starting with singing quietly, great, awesome, <coughs> sing quietly, that's wonderful. God hears you, I don't have to hear you, you're singing to God, right? But we have to be doing something. It's not a passive time. It is an action time where you're putting praise and honor and lifting his name and expressing that to him. Like I said, there's so many ways to worship God. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. See, our whole lives are worship to God. Not just 30 minutes on a Sunday morning of singing. We're supposed to offer our whole bodies as living sacrifice. Brad and Carl, can you guys grab that table and bring it up for me, please? Real authentic worship that pleases God encompasses our whole life. It's everything we say. It's everything we do. It's everything we are all the time. Worship like this is what Paul means by the term living sacrifice. 
We make the choice to live according to God's will and his word, no matter the cost. In this way, we are truly honoring him. But I want to touch more on this a little bit. So, I have a few things for you today to help us explain a living sacrifice. So, the sand is going to represent our worship, okay? Our sand is going to represent our worship to God. And say we come on Sunday, and we sing, and we clap, and we raise our hands, and we give in the offering, and we worship God. And then, that's Sunday, and then Monday comes around, and we got work, right? We got school. You might have soccer practice. You might have gymnastics. You might have a meeting with your job, with your boss. You might have church on Wednesday. We might have, oh, there's not room for all of it. We're only on Wednesday, and we still have more things. We can't fit it all in. Sometimes we think there's not enough time to do everything that we need to make God a priority to worship him. But if we see everything as worship, if we see our whole life as a living sacrifice, everything we do worshiping God, there is time for it all. So if we honor God on Sundays, we come to church, spend time with him in prayer and worship, and then we go to our jobs throughout the week, we go to our school activities, our sports activities, and we pray, and we honor him with our thoughts, our attitudes, our hearts. We honor him in the workplace, even if our boss is cranky or maybe he's wrong, but we show respect. We honor him. And if we worship all throughout our week, and everything that we do as a living sacrifice to God, then it fits. Then we can honor him with everything. A hymn of praise to our God. 
David was praising the Lord, that vertical, vertical dimension. He was exuberant in his song and praise. He was excited. He could not contain his joy, his happiness, his relief. He had to shout it out. He had to sing. All of these songs were designed to be sung. Singing is an important spiritual expression. Singing is mentioned explicitly 68 times just in the Psalms. And it wasn't just any song that David sung. It was a new song. I mean, he had written all these songs. He didn't say, well, I wrote like 30 songs. That should be enough, God. Right? He's like, you're still doing something inside of me. I'm writing a new song of what God is doing on the inside. There was this freshness, this newness with his experience with God. It was as though he was seeing God again for the very first time. It's like seeing old faithful erupt. It never grows old. Each time one is amazed and entranced by it, each person wants to see it again and again. Furthermore, his singing was praiseful. It was worshipful to God. David wrote so many songs, but he was expressing a song of gratitude to God for who he is, for what he said, and what he was doing in his life. David knew that the source of his good fortune was none other than God himself. So there was a celebration in this song, but there was also a proclamation, which is the horizontal dimension. Just as there's this vertical dimension, there was also this horizontal dimension. David said, many will see, that is, know God's presence, and fear, which means to revere, to be in awe by God, and put their trust, or find their security, in the Lord, in the Lord. As David praised God, many people saw it. They did not merely hear his praise, they saw him praising. And in turn, that same security that David found in God, they too wanted to find that security in, in God and worship like David did. David's joy before the Lord was his witness. David's joy before the Lord was his witness. Worship team, if you guys can come on up. We don't worship just at church because worship ought to be this constant attitude or activity in our lives as believers, as though it should. But at church, we worship publicly and corporately together. And when the church gathers to worship, it should also gather to witness. Worship always includes a witness. When people far from God hear those people who are close to God giving their heartfelt praise to God, when they see that heartfelt worship and crying out to him, they're intrigued, right? It's like wanting to see Old Faithful. There's this mystery, this wonder, this marvel. Questions are asked. How does this happen? What does this happen? Why does this happen? Sparks from the, our fire of worship ignite dry hearts, causing them to sing a new song and to praise God. Do you guys worship God in a way that draws others to worship God as well? It's a tough question. Do you worship God in a way that draws others to worship God as well? Do you worship God with all your heart? Do you worship God out of that relationship that you have with God and what he's done in your life? We want to worship God in a way that other people and see that, man, I want that kind of relationship with God. I want to know that God that he's praising or that she's singing to. 
It should be a witness to other people of what God has done in our lives. Again, I know sometimes it's hard. It might be uncomfortable for you to raise your hand or to clap. But you know what? I really want to challenge you to step out of your comfort today and do something that you may not normally do. Not because I told you to do it. That's silly. This is not Simon Says, right? Doing it because you're talking to God in a way that maybe you haven't ever talked to God before. You're expressing something he's done in your heart in a way maybe you've never expressed. Maybe this is your new song today. Maybe this is your new chance to praise God in a way that you have never praised him before. But maybe you don't worship God because you've never asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins. You don't have that relationship with God. And you can have one today if you want to. We're going to give you an opportunity. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we're going to give you an opportunity this morning to be saved. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads and no one looking around. This is just between you and God. And if you say, Pastor Laura, I've never, I've never asked God into my heart. Maybe you're online and you're listening. And we're going to give you a chance to, to have that relationship with God. It's a simple prayer to him, but it has to be from your heart. And all of my Christian brothers and sisters, just repeat after me. Say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus please, forgive me please forgive me for all my sins. For all my sins. Come into my life. Be Lord. Be Lord. I believe you died. I believe you died. And rose again. And rose again. Three days later. Three days later. And you're in heaven. And you're in heaven. Making a place for me. Making a place for me. Help me to live for you. Help me to live for you. All my days. All my days. Amen. Amen. We have this honor, we have this privilege to praise God, to lift his name up, to worship the Lord together. So if you please stand with me this morning, we're going to go ahead and close this out with some worship. And I just challenge you to sing that new song to the Lord, whatever that is. No one's looking around. We're just worshiping God. We're just going to praise him and praise him from our hearts this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, you are great. God, you are worthy of our praise. God, we just sing from hearts that are full for hearts that have experienced your presence, your love, your faithfulness, your goodness. God, we just sing and lift you up because you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy to be called the great I am, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. That's who you are. And God, we praise you and we worship you because of who you are. God, thank you for what you've done in our life. Thank you for who you are. And help us to live lives that are full of worship throughout this week, not just here on Sunday morning, but God in our day-to-day -day activities, in the mundane, in the work, in the school, the shopping, the groceries, and the cooking. God, you are deserving of all praise. And let us be living sacrifices that honor you in everything we do and say and think this week. 